Okay, let's, um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your people and for your word and what it has to say to us this morning. God, as we talk about sin this morning and how to be good helpers and good confessors, Father, I pray that we would talk about this under, under the shadow of the cross, Lord, in light of the gospel. And I pray that, that the gospel would just permeate all of our, our thoughts about how to do this well um, and that we would just, uh, this would be an overflow of our rejoicing um, for the position that we have in Christ despite our sin. And the same is true of our brothers and sisters despite their sin. And so God, help us to see that this morning and help us to be um, effective in light of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm actually going to grab a stool here. I, um, I sprained my knee this week. I fell in the exact same spot on the exact same ice three times. And yeah, that's, um, that's kind of like sin, you know, like (laughs) you keep doing the same thing. You should remember walk on the sidewalk, Jordan, and keep doing the same thing, mess around and find out, play with fire, get burned. And, um, that's a, uh, we'll use that as a genius transition today into our lesson, which is going to be about talking about sin. Um, so we're still going through Ed Welch's book, Caring for One Another. And today in talking about sin, for lots of you, that might sound pretty antithetical to caring for one another, or like that would be quite awkward. Um, but I assure you that the two go hand in hand, talking about sin and um, being caring to your brother and sister. You know, some of the times in my Christian walk where I felt the most loved or the most cared for is when people were confronting me about sin and when people were showing me things I was doing wrong in my life, you know, it was like very obviously difficult for them at times and uncomfortable for them maybe, but it was so meaningful that through that discomfort and through that awkwardness, they took the time to, to point something out to me because they wanted to see me walk closer to Jesus, which is, which is real love, which is really caring for one another. Remember, this is about bringing people alongside Jesus together with us. And so, we have to understand that wise conversations talk about sin eventually. So we were talking about uh, those circles within circles that eventually gets to the heart. Last week we were talking about suffering um, and how to be a, a good helper in suffering. But even suffering, that's circumstantial. That's somewhere outside of the center of the heart. But sin, sin is somewhere that's right at the center of the heart. So we want to approach this carefully, just like suffering, but we want to understand it's even, it's even deeper than suffering sin is, I think. You know, like, s- suffering won't separate people from Christ. Suffering cannot separate us from the love of Christ, right? Often suffering drives us closer to Christ. But sin, like unrepentant, continual sin, that can mar our relationship with God. That can sever us from God. I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation. I'm just saying there's a lot more uh, practical and immediate consequences to sin that there aren't for suffering. And that's because that's at the center of the person's heart. That's indicative of whether they're moving towards God or away from God with their heart. And before we talk about talking about sin too much, um, we want to remember that there were four lessons before this, and there were six chapters in Ed Welch's book before this chapter. So if you didn't hear anything else I said throughout the whole class, and today you hear this message about confronting people's sin, and it's the first thing that you'd like to do, maybe check yourself and go back and think about the other classes. This is kind of like a, don't be super trigger happy, but pointing out everybody's 
is now, right? This is on the tail end of building relationship with people and caring for one another and being needy and a confessor of your own sin yourself. And, and we're going to talk about that. So, two extremes we have. Um, well, kind of like I just said when talking about sin is to never talk about it and to talk about it too soon before you've almost... Um, earned the relationship to talk about it. Now, there's certain forms of grievous sin or circumstances where you will do something about it or say something about it to someone maybe uh, before you have a relationship with that person. But in general, you don't want to be pointing out people's every flaw before you've done some groundwork that we've already covered. Um, And if you've missed any of the classes, I think it's still in the library. I think it was last week, Ed Welch's Caring for One Another. Really awesome book. You can catch up. Uh, These classes are on the EBC site. And so let's get into it. So that's uh, section A there. Talk about sin. So talking about sin, just like suffering, the most uh, practical thing we can do, but sometimes the most difficult is just to talk about sin, you know. Um, But here's what the scripture says about that. James 5, 19 to 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from error, from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So when you instruct somebody and they repent, when you encourage somebody and they turn from their sin, you're doing a lot more than it feels like you're doing maybe, right? And so we have to get to the point where we're able to talk about sin. And so we're just going to start about some things we need to understand before we get into it. And then we're going to go through some practical steps about how to do that well. So laying some groundwork, one of the first things we need to understand is point B there. We need to see the good in people before we talk about sin. So keep this general rule in mind. You want to talk about the difficult things like suffering and you want to talk about the, the good, encouraging things like good you see in somebody's life. You want to notice that yourself and talk about that to people before you get to their sin. So you want to notice that yourself and you want to communicate that you see that in other people before you talk about their sin. And the important thing there is that um, you're not just throwing the person a bone when you do that. You're not just like puffing them up artificially before you talk about their sin. Because if you went too far with that, that would almost be like, I don't know, like emotional manipulation, you know, to make the person think different from themselves as is, is realistic. So you're not just throwing them a bone. You're not just doing it for them, but you're also doing it for yourself. You know, this is as much for you as it is for them to see the good in them before you talk about sin. Because you want a well-rounded, realistic view of people and of yourself before you're discussing their sin with them, before you're discussing um, your sin with them, right? Uh, so, so consider this from uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 to 7. Paul talks about the good. So the Corinthian church, I think we can all agree, they had a lot of sin issues. If you haven't read Corinthians and you read it, the Corinthian church has a lot of sin issues. And Paul gets to that, but what's he say first? I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift. I've always found that amazing. He goes on to talk about how badly they misuse the gifts, but he still affirms you're still not lacking any gift. So he affirms the good first, 
And he starts with the reality that these people are rooted in, in the death and resurrection of Christ. They're rooted in the gospel. So he's starting with reality so he can more effectively bring up their sin later and exhort them away from their sin later. So we are saints. You want to start with that when understanding people and when, when addressing people about sin. But still, we're saints who sin. You know. So in, in the New Covenant area, uh, era, in the New Covenant era, we're condemnation-free, we're shame-free, but we're, we're not sin-free, and we won't be sin-free until, until the other side of heaven or, or when the Lord returns. So the, the humility of seeing the good in other people and having a realistic view of yourself, that's all humility is, is um, having a realistic or accurate picture of yourself and other people. And then when you do that, it kind of seems more level than it might have seemed before. Um, the humility of doing that helps us with a couple things. Uh, so... It helps us see our sin is worse than everybody else's. That's where you should start. You know, if you don't hate your sin more than you hate your brother's sin, if you're not making war on your sin, if you're not angry at your own sin, if you don't even see it, um, it's not really wise to be addressing your brother's sin. You know, didn't, didn't even Jesus say, pull the log out of your own eye before you address the speck in your brother's eye. So that humility helps you see yourself realistically and see your own sin realistically. But it also, again, helps us see other people um, other people more realistically in light of, you know, here's a quote from Spurgeon. If any man thinks ill of you, so if any man's trash talking you, if anybody thinks, you know, saying bad things about you, um, do not be angry with them because you're much worse than they think that you are. (laughs) And that's something that's really helped me when I'm addressing people's sin or when I'm worried about how people will perceive my sin. It's like, you know what? I don't need to be defensive here and I don't need to think of myself as higher than than them because however they think of me, I'm worse than they think I am. And so often what we do is we take our sins and we write them off to being out of character for us. So when we sin, oh, that's out of our character. You know, that's not like me, right? And then when we have a victory or when we do something righteous, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's prime Jordan right there. That's who I am. That's exactly who I am. But then we kind of flip it. And when other people do something good, we always have an excuse for them. Well, yeah, but he had this going for him, so that's not really fair. And then uh, when they do something righteous. And then when they sin, we use that and we make it indicative of who they are. We paint them with their sin often. And so consider this from Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You want to restore your brother in a, and you want to do that in a spirit of gentleness. So you're going to get to talking about sin. But here's what Paul says next. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Have a realistic view of yourself. Don't get carried away here because you see your brother's sin. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So I think that's a wonderful statement from Paul to kind of sum up what we've been talking about. You want to get to restoring people with gentleness and pointing things out. But first, you need to be keeping watch on yourself, having a realistic view of others, affirming the good in others. Remember, that's not just throwing them a bone. That's helpful for you to realistically see others for the good things in them, too, before you address their sin. And lastly, having this realistic view helps us love better, you know. Um, When we see our sin, we're grateful for the forgiveness we've received. And that relays in conversation. You know, Jesus says in Luke 7, he who is forgiven little loves little. But he who is forgiven much, he loves much. Because he realizes, man, I'd be in the exact same spot or worse if the Lord didn't have mercy on me. So 
B, point B there in your header, um, see the good. You know, start with the good, and you could even put in brackets behind that. Think realistically about yourself and about others. And so we want to talk about uh, sin with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. And so what the goal here is, it's, it's to contribute to a community where it's just natural to talk about sin, like more and more. And like I said, everything's not going to change without any elbow grease right after the, this class. But as we do this more, as we're more open, as we keep uh, pursuing people, as we keep being open about things ourselves and trying to get others to be open about things in a slow, measured way, we want to get to the point where it's natural in the church to talk about sin. Because where else are people going to talk about it? You know the world? And the world's just going to affirm them in their sin? So we we need to be the place where people feel um, that they can do that openly. Point C on your sheet there, uh, just straight up some practical pointers. Before we get to the first one, a little um, tip here is you want to start by realizing before you get practical talking about sin that you need to use wisdom depending on how that sin comes to light. So here's what I mean. You'll find out about other people's sins or other people will find out about your sins in one of three ways. Someone will confess it. Someone will just come right out with it. Another way is you'll see it, and they don't see it. You'll just notice it. And the third way is you're told about it by somebody else, not the person who sinned, but by somebody else who saw it. And so we can't talk about all of the minutiae here today, but you just want to be mindful. If somebody is found out, they might not have come to a point where they actually see their sin as sin yet, right? So you're going to address that a little differently with a little more wisdom, right? Um, If somebody came and confessed their sin to you, well, yeah, of course they see their sin as sin already, and maybe you can skip some steps there. So just be mindful of that before we get into um, these tips and uh, adjust your engagement with the person accordingly. So tip number one is just say something. Again, that's always the hardest part. Like I said, you're not going to find very many things in this, um, in this curriculum that are difficult to wrap your head around, but things that are just difficult to do. So the first step is just to say something. So here's a few examples um, from, straight from the book, Ed, Welch's, Ed Welch's book, about bringing stuff up. You've been on my heart. I've really appreciated your willingness to say that you struggle with lust, but I've been concerned that people might leave you alone. Could we talk about it? Or another example, something you said the other day really stuck with me. It's when you said that you got angry at your wife. Could we talk about it? And sometimes people will be defensive, but usually people will react a lot better than you expect them to react. And they're probably not going to be angry that you just said something first. Um, And remember, this is after some other steps we've been going through. But if you, have, if you have clear evidence of sinful actions, like be specific, you're not going to break the person, um, you want to be gentle and careful, but you want to be specific, you want to be clear. If you have any concerns or questions, maybe you don't know, maybe, maybe it's not as bad as you think. Ask the questions, you know, start the conversation. And that's all really difficult and that's all really awkward, but usually if we have regrets, it's from things that we didn't say, not things that we did ask or things that we did say. So step one, say something. Start somewhere. Um, Another pointer, step two that Welch gives is we more than you. So here's an example he gives. Um, There was a man and the turning point in his fight with illegal drugs came when his wife sat down with him when she discovered this. And when she was confronting this sin, she said to her husband, what are we going to do about this? 
She didn't say, what are you going to do about this? And there's times for that. But in this situation, in this example, she said, what are we going to do about this? We more than you. So that goes a long way. So when, when you're dealing with other people's sins, you have two options. The first option is you can be priestly and you can distance yourself from that person because, oh, I would never ever do something like that. And you need to draw a clear line between you and them. And you can say, what are you going to do about that? And there, of course, there's times for that, right? But most often, the second option you have, which is maybe err on the side of this, is to use your words to move closer to the person. Instead of being priestly and creating distance or a chasm, use words to to move closer to the person and say, how can we do something about this? What are we going to do about this? And to clarify, this is not saying that you sinned their sin. You know, there's there's still some wisdom to a a distinction in the relationship to the person caught in sin and the person helping them through that and walking them through that. You're not saying, when you say we, what are we going to do about this? You're not saying that you sinned their sin. All you're doing there is identifying with, with their struggle against sin as a fellow sinner. You know, you're investing personal interest to see them kill this sin. Um, you're giving yourself a dog in the fight. You're showing that you care and you really would like to see them kill this thing and you're going to be there to help them. Um, you're, you're moving closer to them. So you want to communicate that we're in this together. Um, that might mean, you know, you don't fully understand the nature of the person's sin, but, but you'll be right next to them with patience and kindness in the battle, ready to help them. Or another thing it might mean is that you do understand their sin, because even if you struggle with a different variant of it, even if it doesn't look like theirs, the odds are whatever sin you see in others, you struggle with some version of it yourself might manifest different, but it, but it comes from the same sin, sinful desire within. So most often we can resonate with people's um, sin, and so we want to communicate, we're in this together, we, we, will, we will help you, we're there for you. So we, more than you. The third pointer he gives is questions more than exhortations. So this is what Jesus did lots of times when he found people caught in sin, and there's some practical reasons he did this. So some examples, Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Or which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, good or evil? Or Jesus would ask questions all the time to kind of just stop and make people think about either how silly something they just said was or uh, that whatever they're caught in, how silly that is. And so there's two things Jesus is doing here. One, he's inviting us to think about something. When he puts your sin in front of you, and he just turns it around into a question and just uses some logic, he's inviting you to use your own mind to think about your own sin. Because here's the thing, guys. If we just have a church full of, full of robots who, you know, they, they just go with whatever the more spiritual people say about their sin, and it's like, oh, you say that sin? Okay, I'll stop. We don't have a church of people thinking about their own sin, confessing their own sin, feeling the weight of their own sin, right? You want people to work through these things and think through these things themselves. You want them to realize it is sin, um, and you want them to see how awful it is. You know, the Proverbs say, like a dog who returns to his own vomit is a man who returns to his own sin. You want to put people's sin in front of them and use questions to help them see that. So one... He's, he's inviting us to think about something. You know, sin is usually way less attractive when it's closely inspected. And Jesus wants us to see that. Second, he's inviting us into a conversation. He's asking questions to get a response, you know. A lot of times the Pharisees didn't have a response. <laughs> they were kind of stumped and silent. But, 
but Jesus would have been fine with the response. These aren't hypothetical questions. They can get a conversation going, you know. Think of um, in Isaiah, I can't remember which chapter now. Oh, I think it's quite early in Isaiah, but the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. That's the spirit of the Lord addressing the sins of his people. Let us reason together. Let's think about this together. Let's ask some questions. And in that reasoning together, who do you think is going to have to budge, God or the sinner, right? God's not saying there, well, maybe your sin's not so bad. Let's reason together. That's not what God's saying. He's saying, let us reason together. Let's talk about this. But the sinner's going to be the one to realize some things and move closer to God. So God won't budge, but he wants to use patient reasoning to help us see that we shouldn't even want to see anymore. So some questions that this might look like is, um, why did you find that sin more attractive than God's will? You know, what was going on in your heart there? Or do you regret that? You can ask someone, do you regret that? Or how can I help? You know, so just, you want to be able to, instead of being accusatory, at first at least, just help the person see some things with some questions. Um, this will help, help you understand them better. It, you know, it's good to ask and listen like you have something to learn from the person so you can get a better view of what's going on. And again, it'll help the person work through their own sin see it how it really is, and it's, it's in a lot of ways following the example of, of Jesus Christ. So, fourth pointer Welch gives is, and can, I've edited this one a bit, but it's, it's the same gist, I think. Um, end confession with affirmation. So if you're on the um, side of the person who's being confessed to, end confession with affirmation to that person, or if you're confessing your sin to somebody, um, end confession with thank you. And here is what that does for the situation. A lot of times, God's forgiveness seems way too good to be true to the person stuck in sin. You know, we have a million reasons in our head why our sin is different, why our sin exceeds the ability of God to forgive or the ability of God to to pull us out from or help us stop doing it, whatever. And so a lot of times our instinct after confession, if we do confess, is to put ourselves into an exile and to kind of self-pity and to wallow around in our sin and wallow around in the sorrow of our sin. And we never really get to the point where we're fully accepting the forgiveness from our father and then using that to walk in new life. That's usually where people get caught up the most, right? The scriptures say that we can kill sin and we have to believe the scriptures, but lots of times we don't believe that because we don't, we believe we're too far gone or like I said, our situation is different or something. But But keep in mind the story of the prodigal son. Like, I know it's an old tried and true example, but it's in the Bible for a reason. You know, it's done well to prove the point it proves. At the slightest evidence of repentance and turning back towards God, the father is just glad as ever to run to us and to accept us and to affirm us and and to bring us back into the fold. So how do we remind ourselves of this and how do we communicate this to others when we're in conversations about sin. Well, so again, if you're the confessor, you can end confession with thank you. You know, um, if I am talking about sin and, you know, uh, well, okay, for example, there's been times, Brad, I know you don't mind me throwing you under the bus. There's been times where I've been talking about Brad about sin in my life and uh, I've made a habit about, um, I'm realizing this in hindsight of the book, of just saying thank you after I work through some things with Brad. And that's been actually very practically helpful. What that does is it, it communicates to myself. It just makes it the consensus in the room. It's a good thing what just happened. 
You know, it's a sin's not a good thing, but it's a good thing we talked about this. Something good just happened. I should be thankful. You know, I'm in a better spot than I was before I came into this office, hopefully, right? And so it's creating that, that mindset among yourself if you're confessing sin. I don't actually have to keep wallowing in my sin and feeling sorry for myself. I'm allowed to move on. I'm permitted to move on. And if you're the helper... If you're the helper, um, affirm your brother or sister in Christ. Affirm your siblings. So how might that look? Well, this was super impactful. I remember one time I was um, discussing a certain sin with someone very, very wise. And they, were, they said something so simple and so helpful to me. They just said to me, they could tell I was in a rut, that I was stuck, that I was not believing some of God's word. And they just leaned over and they said, Jordan, you're allowed to be done with that sin. <laughs> you're allowed to stop sinning that sin. Actually, you're not just allowed, you're able. And you're not just able, you're commanded to, you know? Like, um, you, sometimes the person caught in sin will get into this rut where they think that um, it would be too out of character for them to just kill the sin and stop it right then. And so that's not very fitting. So I kind of have to dwindle this sin out and it just wouldn't be realistic if I just stopped sinning it. Like that's how we think often, right? And it would be out of character if you stopped your sin right away. And if you use the power of the cross to abandon it. And that's the point. We want a bunch of out of character Christians who are out of their own character and in the character of Christ. So you want to communicate to the person who's coming to you with sin you want to give them permission to move on from that. That permission doesn't come from you. It comes from God. But you want to make it like very clear to them, Jesus nailed that sin to the cross. You want to affirm them in that gospel truth. Jesus died so you could stop sinning this sin. You don't actually have to sin it anymore. There's no like 10-step program where you have to keep dealing with it for X amount of time, right? Um, you really want to communicate that to the person caught in sin. And that'll often... Like I said, it turns confession, it turns those times of speaking about sin into such a positive thing where we can walk away understanding something good happened and it's good that it happened and I'm in a better spot than I was before and I actually am able to move on. And so we want to see others become more like Jesus with us. So just a recap of the practical steps there is um, say something, start with saying something, uh, we more than you, however you do that doesn't have to be that exact way. Communicate, we're in this together. You know, I'll help you see through this sin because I too am a fellow sinner. I understand what it's like to be there, right? Uh, questions more than exhortations. You want the person to be able to think about their own sin and come to see that uh, in their own way for what it really is. You don't just want people who are your personal disciples banking on everything you tell them about their, themselves. You want them to see it for themselves um, and, and end confession with affirmation or thank you. And that's on both ends. So we still have a decent amount of time for group time. I'm just going to read the questions quick for anybody who might be listening, and then we'll get right into it. How about um, the Rollins and Caleb, if you guys want to go this way? Center row is good, and that row is good, it seems. So uh, the questions. One, has anyone ever spoken to you about your sin in a helpful way? An unhelpful way? How did they do that? Why was it helpful or unhelpful? Two, Humility can be understood as an accurate or realistic view of yourself and of others. How can being humble in this way help you become a more effective helper for those in sin? How can being humble in this way help you become a more ready uh, confessor or help seeker when you are in sin? So those are our questions today. I will briefly pray and then we'll get right into group time. 
Father, thank you for the ability to overcome sin through the cross, God, that you've empowered us to do that. Um, Thank you for the gospel community around us, even gathered here today, Lord, that you've given us as a means to do that. God, help us to be quick to confess when we are found in sin. And God, help us be compassionate, thoughtful, and gentle helpers to those who are in sin. Um, God, can you just make it the heart cry of everybody in this church to want to see people more like Jesus um, and to love them in that way and really want that good for them. And with some of the practical things we talked about today, um, not be forced habit, but God, just a natural overflow of our love for you and our love for your people. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I wanted to clarify something I never clarified. I meant to do it at the start of this lesson. Last week, I miscommunicated something, and that was my fault. No one misunderstood me. I said it wrong. Um, I communicated that you never want to like share your own personal struggles with people or make it about yourself in any way. What I meant to communicate there was if you're being competitive about it, just stop. Like if, if you always have to be the guy who suffered more or if you can't see any reason why it would be helpful to bring up your suffering um, or your troubles, then you don't need to do that. But there's, of course, I want to give room. There's, there's tons of time where it is appropriate to sympathize with the person or, um, and, and just share your experience with them to kind of help them help them relate to you. So I just wanted to clarify that so people don't think, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. So anyway, let's get into group time.